You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Would you rescue me? Would you give my back? Would you take my call? Would I start to crack? Would you rescue me? Would you rescue me? Would you rescue me when I'm by myself? When I need your love, if I need your help? Would you rescue me? Would you rescue me? We don't talk much, not anymore. Broken bottles and slamming doors. But we still care about each other. Say we care about each other. I know life took us far away. I still dream about the good old days. We took care of each other. We were living for each other. So there's a question in that song that we want you to think about today. We're in week two of our series, The Last Arrow, and today we're going to talk about relationships and community. So who would rescue you? Who rescues you? When you're running into a hard time, when you, when you got some bad news, you lost your job, who's in your community that would rescue you? Because God made us to do life together, and we're going to be looking at that today. Uh, but before we dive into that, I think it would be good for us just maybe to hit the pause button for a moment and um, reflect on what happened this past week. You know, we all, we all entered into 2021, I think, with some optimism and hope, and I still have it, by the way, but it was a hard week, wasn't it? And I don't, I don't care who you voted for, what political party you identify with, but this was a difficult week to go through as Americans, as people. Um, I, was, I was on a, um, in a meeting, a Zoom meeting with all the teaching pastors on Wednesday, and a friend of mine texted me, and here, he lives here in uh, Macomb County, and he said, what is going on with our country? So I text back and said, 
what's going on? What are you talking about? And he said, you need to turn on the news. Well, I was in a meeting, so I just on my phone, I went to a news source and saw what was going on in the Capitol and um, told the other teachers. And when our meeting was done, I think we all did the same thing. I was in New York uh, on Wednesday, but I went down and got my wife. We turned on the TV and I, I, I couldn't even sit down. I stood in front of it and watched and, um, and really just began to weep at what I was seeing. Didn't understand it. It was so confusing. And so, you know, like many of you, you've processed it with each other, with your friends and family, trying to figure out. You go to social media, it just blew up social media again. Um, how to navigate this? And, you know, as followers of Jesus, you know, we address this in the fall in our series United, but how do we navigate this kind of thing? And, and I had a thought because I had a friend who, in, in the midst of all this, said to me, well, we take comfort in knowing that God is in control and he's still on his throne. But then I said to him, well, that, that's true, but i got to think through what that means because God has always been in control through all, in a sense, through all human history, and yet look at the horrible things that have happened through history, genocide and infanticide and all the stuff that goes on in our day and age right now, sex trafficking, everything. God is there. So I said, for me, that, what that does for me is, first of all, I believe that God is not wringing his hands and full of despair. I think God is a God of hope. But that hope has to be lived out through us. He's a, he's a king, and he has a kingdom, but it's not one of human institutions. So this is a time for us, I think, to lean into that kingdom, because I think there's a lot of work to do. Looking at the, the political division, the, the racial division, everything that's surfaced again, what does he want us to do? To be people of hope. And that is to believe that we are now the ones that carry out whatever God wants to do in our world. We are his hands, as we say. We are his feet. We are his voice. So to think carefully about what does that voice sound like? What do those hands look like? Where do those feet go in a time like this? And it's a time for needing discernment and wisdom and I think patience and calm and trust and, and not to add to the angry rhetoric out that's out there, but to, to ask God very, very honestly, God, what is it you want us to do? I think as an individual, I'm asking myself that as a pastor of this church, I'm asking myself that I, I would just invite all of us into that conversation with each other and with God to say, how do we want to be known as history looks back at this time in terms of how we as members of the kingdom of God conducted ourselves? So I'm just going to take a moment to pray. Just please join me in prayer and just let's just listen to God in the days ahead. So God, that's what we ask for discerning hearts and minds, um, listening to you, being willing to embrace the pain that we know you feel because we know this is not what you want. You are the Prince of Peace. And so help us. Help us to navigate this time well. Help us to um, lean into you and trust you and let you guide us. And we do pray, pray for our nation. We pray for the next two weeks because we know things could get more volatile. We just ask that peace would reign and we would know that it was you. We would just trust you for this. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Okay, God bless you as you navigate all this with your family and friends and community. It just really is an unprecedented and difficult time. Um, so, but I, I want to turn uh, to something really positive right now. Uh, Danny Cox, who is the executive interim pastor at Kensington, is uh, put together a video that kind of captures the momentum from last year and what God did in and through you as members of this church, and, and take a peek into 2021 in terms of what the hope that we feel is ahead of us. So please enjoy this. Happy New Year, everyone. Well, we made it. It is the first full week of 2021, and these past few days have been filled with so much already, haven't they? 
And if you're like me, when you reach this time of the year, it's a time of valuation, maybe even reevaluation, reflection, and also dreaming of what could be for this next year. When I get to this time of the year, I always ask God one simple word, what? What would you have for me this year? What would you have for me? What would you have for my family and for us as a church family? And I usually ask God for a word or a phrase. I don't know if you do that, but I was wondering if, can you give me one word, one phrase that I could hold on to as a theme for the year? And this year, the word that came to me was trust. Over the break between Christmas and New Year, I got a chance to read a number of books, and each one of them spoke so boldly to this idea of trusting Jesus. And one book even described it as a ruthless trust in Jesus, this ruthless trust in the one person in place that is truly worthy of our trust. Over these past 10 months, you know that we've watched this world shift under our feet. You know, we've been catapulted into political division and civil unrest and racial tension and all of that while battling this global pandemic. And through all of this, as human beings, we are tempted to place our trust in flawed, broken human systems and leaders and governments and kingdoms and kings. And that never ends well. We know that. It brings to mind Psalm 146. says this, Do not place your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to absolutely nothing. If 2020 has taught us anything at all, it is that the things of this world are not worthy of our trust. But Jesus Christ is worthy of all of our trust and all of our devotion. So as we continue forward moving into this new year, I am encouraging you, all of you, to evaluate and press into anything that you're placing your trust in other than Christ and Christ crucified. Our complete and deep trust in Jesus is our only hope. Our obedience and trust in Jesus is our only way forward. We came out of our Christmas season where we were reminded of how important the journey of life is and journey of faith is. And we looked at the journey of a particular group of people through the eyes of the wise men at Christmas as they took a similar journey. They left their homes, they left their families, all that was familiar to pursue something eternal. Between our in-person services and our online audience, there's an estimated 34,000 people heard about Jesus, about the light of the world that penetrates the darkness and offers us a new kind of hope and trust for all humanity. We even got to see some of you get pretty crafty showing off your homemade stars from the Christmas at home kits. Uh, we could just feel the warmth as we witnessed these photos and videos of your living rooms and they're lit up with candles as you sang along and worshiped Jesus. It really was truly a beautiful Christmas to remember. This year, we also saw so many of you in our Christmas faith family step into the opportunity to trust God and to give a year-end Christmas gift, even in a year where we know that finances have been so difficult and such a struggle. And I want you to know something. Your giving is changing lives. It is supporting families, facing financial hardships during this uh, critical season. It's providing food and hygiene supplies to our global partners, even helping invest in technology so that we can expand our virtual engagement and reach more and more people. I mean, the list can go on and on and on, but I have to say this. I am so thankful for the generosity 
in this community. I cannot thank you enough for living so generously and open-handedly. You know that's one of our deep values, that we would live our lives like this open-handedly, and you showed that this year, especially this year, when the hardships and the difficulties were so intense. So I just want to say to all of you, thank you so much for your generosity. You know, as I and we look back and learn from the joys and sorrows of 2020, I am still really hopeful for this next year ahead. And maybe for you, starting out this year of 2021 is going to happen by proclaiming your faith in Jesus Christ through baptisms. You know, we haven't had a baptism service in almost a full year, and we are so excited that we are going to be doing a baptism service on January 23rd, of course, safely and securely, and we're going to be able to celebrate all of those baptisms on the very last weekend of January. And now we know that there's nothing special or magical about the water of baptism, but it is a public declaration and ceremony that declares a life surrendered to Jesus. When we go under the water, it's symbolic of an old life being washed away, and when we come up, it signifies this new life found in Christ. If you are being nudged by God, I deeply encourage you to show up and be part of this celebration where you declare your faith in Christ through baptism. So sign up right now. It is truly one of the greatest services we get to do every year as we watch people's lives transform right in front of our eyes as they choose to place their trust in the only place and person worthy of their trust. Please come and join us on that. In some ways, the opening of 2021, the first week, shouldn't surprise us with all that we've gone through in the last 10 months. Everything that has transpired over the first several days of 2021 at our country's Capitol building reminds us of something, of how chaotic this world and life can really be. But it also made me think of what we just celebrated at Christmas. Jesus, who is called the Prince of Peace, left his perfect home to enter into our circumstances, our chaotic world run by broken human leaders and systems and governments and programs, and one truth that I've learned about Jesus is this, that he would enter into chaos, but he would never give into chaos. I've actually always dreamed that for me. I dreamed that for us, that could it be possible that we are a people that could move into chaos, but never give into that chaos? I think that's really possible. Along with the word trust this year, God gave me a phrase he gave me a phrase from scripture that would actually couple with the word trust. It's out of the book of Isaiah in chapter 52. And that chapter opens up with one word said two times. Awake, awake. It's God calling his people to wake up, calling his people to an awakening. And then a little bit more into the scripture, he says this, shake off the dust, rise up. You know, I have a hard time looking at 2020 and saying that it was a gift. But could it be possible that the experiences of these past 10 months that have been so intense, that God is gonna take those experiences and he's going to use them to shake us and to wake us up, to wake our souls to things that are so much more important. I believe that 2021 is going to be the year of awakening of shaking off the dust of the things that are not of God and that are hindering us, and this rising up to trust God in a deeper way, making the very most of every opportunity that the Lord gives us. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King had a dream of what he called 
the beloved community. People from all different walks of life and races and socioeconomic backgrounds, different cultures and ethnicities, all coming together around love. God calls this beloved community his faith family, his royal priesthood, his holy nation. I'm praying deeply, I really am, that God shakes us, wakes us, and sends us out this year to change the world. I'm believing with all of my heart that God has great things in store for us for 2021 and looking forward to walking into that future. And I'm so grateful to be on this faith journey with all of you. I know that God is going to do extraordinary things. Happy New Year. I can't tell you how much I love Danny Cox. Um, I had the joy of being here 20 years ago when Danny came to faith in Jesus and to watch how he's grown to the point where now he teaches me and he leads me and he's just a beautiful spirit. So really appreciate those words. Um, I hope you will take him up on the challenge to consider baptism. If you've never, as a follower of Jesus, been baptized, we would love to baptize you in just a couple weeks. And we're going to show the video of those baptisms right here on Sunday uh, at the end of this month. So please consider doing that. It's a great way to demonstrate publicly the life change that you are involved in as you follow Jesus, the death of the old and, and the new life that has come into you. And we're going to do it in a safe way. Because we're still in COVID-19 restrictions, so we're going to go out to Lake St. Clair and chop a hole in the ice. And uh, <laughs> actually, just kidding, of course. Um, one of the things, the last 12 years, we've done baptisms in New York City, where our church is, uh, in the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm not kidding, every September we do it Labor Day weekend, we get the worst surf. I don't know why. And I have so many videos of me getting knocked down by waves and somebody getting swept out. we got to go get them and bring them back in. So we're not going to do that. We've actually rented a pool. We're going to schedule it to be safe and not have a crowd of people around. But we want to capture the moment on video so we can share it with this community. So information's online, just kensingtonchurch.org slash baptism, or you can talk to someone out at help desk. We'd love to celebrate the joy with you of your life in Christ. So that's coming up real soon. We only have a couple weeks to get, to get signed up for that. Um, I also want to talk to you about a ministry of, of uh, Kensington Clinton Township we've been involved in for a while now, helping with the Macomb County Warming Center. And right now in a hotel near us, there's 160 men and women who are currently homeless. And normally we rotate churches and we, we would take them in here for a week and feed them and give them a place to sleep. Because of COVID, we can't do that. So resources were made available to give them a bed in a hotel. But we want to provide their food and uh, hygiene kits and gas cards or, or bus uh, tickets or whatever they need. And so there's a place in the lobby after, and every week in uh, Sunday in January, you can find a board where you can go pick out something that, like I looked at one I'm probably going to do because it's, I can do it. It's pretty simple, four dozen bananas. It tells you when you need to bring them here. And so let's come around this and support and love on our most vulnerable members of our community uh, during this cold winter season, okay? Let's get it done. Well, as I mentioned, this is week two in our series, The Last Arrow. And uh, I was at home in New York City last week watching it online, and I was taking notes. Steve Andrews gave the message. If you didn't see it, you got to go on, our, our, uh, on demand and watch it. It so inspired me. I was taking notes so I'd be prepared to follow him. Instead, I was taking notes about my life, and I journaled so much about it this week. I was so encouraged that I'm going to run this race till my last breath and do whatever, all that God wants me to do and accomplish all that he wants me to accomplish. Uh, I would really call his um, message a wake-up call. And he actually started with this, uh, this verse. I want you to see it on the screen. This is from Ephesians chapter 5. It says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. 
Paul felt that people were falling asleep in terms of life and, and its importance and urgency and its opportunity and the adventure of life. And so we, it was a wake-up call because we know that we can put it on autopilot. We can just punch the clock. We can just turn the pages of the calendar and day after day, life goes on and we get older. It's easy to live that way. In fact, it's almost the default way to live. And so Steve challenged us last week as we begin the series, The Last Arrow, that let's live life with intentionality. Let's live on purpose. Let's live thoughtful every day about what we're doing. Let's live it with God, asking him to show us, direct us, and enter into the life that he has for us, that we could discover that and we could live it out till our dying breath. And I was really encouraged by Steve's uh, passion and enthusiasm, and I caught some of that this week. So he gave us a challenge, and I don't know if any of you took him up on the challenge. I tried to. I failed at least three times this week. But he said, here's a prayer. Here's a prayer I would like you to pray every single day of this series. And it's a four or five, five-week series, I think. So in case you haven't done it or you weren't here last week, we're going to say this together, only if you want to. Only if this is a desire of your heart. The words are going to be up on the screen, and we're going to pray this together. Okay, you ready? Jesus, cultivate my heart to care about the things you care about and to let go of the things you don't. Wouldn't that be amazing if we actually not only prayed that prayer every day, but we entered the day mindful? It doesn't matter where we work or what we're doing, but Jesus is with us, and and help me care about what matters to you today, and help me just let go of the things that don't matter. And that was the exhortation from last week. Now today, we're going to talk about, I think, the most important thing in our lives that will help us do that, actually. Besides our relationship with God, which is number one, and that's last week was about seeking his kingdom first. But the thing we're going to talk about today is who are we doing it with? In fact, the title of this message that we chose was Find Your People. Who are your people that you're going to do life with, that are going to help you accomplish the things that you want to accomplish, that God wants you to accomplish? In fact, there's um, a phrase that I've come to love. It's we become who we do life with, or we become who we walk with. Nothing influences us more than the people that we have in our lives that we are doing life with. That exerts the greatest amount of influence and will help us accomplish and live out the life that God has for us if we have the right people in our life. So in just a moment, that's what we're going to press into. Um, I, I saw something on New Year's Day. Um, I was in New York, and my wife and I went and got a cup of coffee, and I got what I think is the world's biggest donut because I'm trying to keep my New Year's resolutions of eating at least one donut a day. So uh, I started off well. And we're sitting in Madison Square Park, and it was a beautiful winter day. It was nice enough to sit outside, and there were a lot of families out there. And there's a little girl who had to be three. Her legs were way too short for how fast she was running. And I said to Chris, there's an accident going to happen right here in front of us. She's running around like crazy on the pavement, and sure enough, she slips and falls, and she bites the pavement pretty hard right in front of us. And the first thing she does is she looks up at us, and she has absolute terror in her eyes. And I know she's about to burst into tears. But before she does that, she turns and looks back at where her mom was, and her mom saw it. And her mom, instead of running to her in terror, terror, looked at her, shrugged, and kind of smiled. And I watched the little girl. The terror left. The smile came. She got up, kept running. Now, what does that tell us? It it tells us that the people in our lives are so critical in terms of how we navigate life, especially the falls that come, the difficulties, the phone calls, the bad news. As soon as she saw her mom, who she felt loved by, and she saw that it was okay, then it became okay for her. Because God made us that way. God made us for community. He made us for relationship. He made us to do this together. 
A couple years ago, I was at a conference. Uh, the keynote speaker was Dr. Kurt Thompson, who's an author and a, a psychiatrist. And he, he said something that stuck with me. He said, we are born into the world looking for someone looking for us. Think about that. He said that's what, in his mind, most captures the longing of our heart for relationship. We are born into this world looking for someone looking for us. Someone, some place where we're known for who we are and loved and embraced. And you know what? We're born in the world that way, but we never outgrow it. We are always looking for someone who's looking for us. And we can be welcomed into the embrace of that relationship. The cry of the human heart is, who will love me? Who loves me? Never thought independency would feel so lonely and growth would be so tough never knew having my space could be so crowded with defeating thoughts convincing me I've lost my mind I know I said I want you don't worry, I'll be fine. But right now I'm really wondering, will it all work out? And who's going to love me? Who's going to hold me close? Who's wiping my tears when I feel I've lost control? Who's gonna be my lifeline when I'm drowning in my soul? Who's gonna come right by me when I wanna be alone? Who's gonna love me? Who's gonna love me? time would make everything better but it only made them pass too much room to ponder why I might not be good enough to have but everyone My heart would always be strong, but in reality, I got it wrong. So, who's gonna love me? Who's gonna hold me close? Who's wiping my tears when I feel I've lost control? Who's gonna be my lifeline? 
when I'm drowning in my soul. Who's gonna come right by me when I wanna be alone? Who's gonna love me? No high can erase the pain I try to escape. Lost just doesn't measure up. They really can't relate. I'm haunted by my anxiety in an endless nightmare. gonna love me who's gonna hold me close who's wiping my tears when I feel I've lost control who's gonna be my lifeline when I'm drowning in my soul who's gonna come right by me when I wanna be Wiping my tears when I feel I've lost control. Who's gonna be my lifeline when I'm drowning in my soul? Who's gonna come right by me when I wanna be alone? Who's gonna love me? Who's gonna love? Who's gonna love? Who's gonna love? Who's gonna love? Who's gonna Thank you so much, Aaron, for sharing that song. Aaron wrote that song. It's a very... Yeah. I, um, I heard the word beautiful over here, and it is, but, it, but, but isn't it vulnerable? I mean, those words came from someplace, right? And I think in some level, we can all relate for that, to those words, maybe not now, but maybe at times in our life when you, we feel so alone and just kind of lost in that and just wonder who's there for us and... Could someone love me if they knew all the chaos that's going on inside of me? And that's really what we want to press in today because, as I said, uh, I think to live the life that God has for us, we have to find a way to do it together. We have to find a way to get into the kind of community that will foster hope and foster desire to follow God and to do it together. In fact, one of our values at Kensington, it's one of our seven values, and, and this message is kind of derived from this value, and the value is about community and the value says that, um, it, that as a family, we lock arms in community, support, and accountability to accomplish God's mission together. 
I don't know if you've ever seen this demonstration or you've been a part of it. Uh, I was many years ago. I can't remember the context, but they had a group of people form a circle, and they put you in the middle of the circle, and everybody was supposed to stand just side by side like this, and then your job was to get out of the circle. And, you know, and it wasn't hard, to be honest with you, because, you know, as soon as you put your shoulder in, someone's going to move and you're out, right? Then they have the circle form again. They put you back in the middle, and this time they have people hold hands. Well, it gets a little harder, but if you keep pushing hard enough, someone's going to let go. You can get out. And then maybe you guess what the third one is. The third one is they have everybody lock arms together. Because, see, when we talk about community, we're not talking about standing side by side or holding hands we're talking about locking arms together. When you lock arms together, you cannot get out of that circle unless you're a NFL tight end or something like that. You're stuck there. It shows the bond of community, the strength of community when we really lock arms and come together. So that's what we want to press into today. And I, I'm going to ask you uh, to consider this question. Who are my people? And are they helping me to stay awake and pursue the life that God has for me? Or a life that's rich toward God? Are they, are they the ones that will rescue you, thinking about the first song? Are they the ones that answer the question, who will love me? And they say, I will, I do, I'm there. So we're going to talk about that kind of community today. And I'm going to suggest that there are three characteristics that we find in, in God's plan for life, three things that should characterize the kind of community that will both be life-giving and, and it will help us advance a life that's rich toward God, to embrace all God, that God has for us. So the first one, I'm not going to spend too much time on this one because it's kind of what we talked about last week. But first of all, we need to find people who are missional with us. And what that simply means is men and women who want what we want, the desires that God has put in our heart, our desire to follow Jesus with everything, to give everything to the kingdom, to live fully, holding nothing back, as Steve talked about last week. We need to find people who want that and do life with them. It's kind of like, the, you know, an illustration would be if, if you're in a rowboat and there's six or seven of you all with a set of oars rowing, how far will you get if you're not rowing in the same direction? You know, all it takes is somebody that's got the oars going the other way and you're going to kind of zigzag or go in circles or you're going to stay in place. So we need people in the boat with us, this boat of life, that want the same thing, the direction, the focus, the intentionality is there. And in our context, to follow Jesus fully, to discover what he has for us, we need men and women who want that same thing. Because it's powerful in community. When this begins to be fleshed out, we begin to discover it. So we have to keep the right company. In fact, there's a verse in um, First, First Corinthians um, chapter 15 that my parents used to tell me uh, was important when I was growing up because they were concerned about people I might hang out with. And so it's kind of a negative statement, but there's a positive side to this. So Paul writes this in First Corinthians he says that, um, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. All that's saying is that you are influenced by the people around you, the people you hang out with, the people you spend time with. There's never anything neutral. There's always influence. As soon as people are together, there's influence that's there. And so the converse would be, if you get people, you know, good company, people that want the same thing, not perfect people, not sinless people because they don't exist, not people who don't have brokenness, they don't exist, but you get people who the desire is the same, wanting to go in the same direction, missional about life, then you're going to get someplace because, as we'll see, that kind of community lifts you up when you need to be lifted up. It encourages you when you need encouragement. When you have no hope, it gives you hope. When you're lonely, it fills that because God made us for this. And, you know, some people would say, well, isn't God enough? I mean, the answer to those questions, who will rescue me? Well, it's God. Who loves me? Well, it's God. And I, all of that's true, and I believe that with all my heart. And I hope you've experienced the love of God. 
But we got to remember, when God created humanity, in the story, uh, the account in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he created Adam, and it was a perfect environment and a perfect relationship he would have had with God. And then God said these words, and we usually use this about marriage, because it applies there most of all. But he said, he made the statement, God himself said it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good to be alone. Life was not meant to be done alone. So to do life with people who are missional, who want the same thing, is a starting point. Now, the second thing, which I think gets into the, the song that, that Aaron shared with us, and, and I, I was searching for the right phrase for this, and I'm just going to call it this. I'm going to call it a grace-soaked community. I like the word soaked, because when you soak something, it's just there. It's just in it, right? You soak something to get a stain out of it. You just put it right in it. We need to be in community and in relationships that are grace-soaked relationships. And here's why this is so important. Our tendency, actually, in this broken world, as broken people, our natural tendency is to hide from each other. It is. It goes all the way back to the account I referenced in, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. When Adam and Eve broke trust with God and walked away and turned their back on him, we're told two things happened. First, they hid from God, which, by the way, never works, but they tried to. And then they hid from each other. Suddenly, they became aware that they were naked and they covered themselves. And I think that that's literally true, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor for what we do. We don't want to be exposed. There's fear of being exposed. And what is, what is the source of that fear? We won't be loved. We won't be accepted. And so, unfortunately, even in the church, and I, I experienced this growing up, I was raised in a pretty legalistic um, environment, a lot of judgment, and what that tended to create was, because there was going to be so much judgment, we hid even better than anybody else. I, I would like to say that when, when we pulled into the church parking lot, before we walked into this community, we put the mask on and ratcheted it down really hard so the real us wouldn't come out. I, I actually have memories of, of our family. I had five siblings, and we were in the old uh, Ford station wagon with the wood panels and mom and dad driving, and it was a 10-mile drive to church every day, and we would fight all the way there. Like just, you know, as brothers and sisters do, and dad getting ticked off, and just... It was not a good, good environment. And then we'd pull in the church parking lot, park the car, and before we opened the doors, my dad would say, okay, knock it off. We're church now. So, you know, that's where you go in and you go, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? And we all smile and we act like it's all good. That's not community, by the way. That's not authentic community. And so there's something, unfortunately, in Christianity that has fostered this idea that we need to stay hidden from each other. But the reality is we have to find a people where our masks can come off, we can present to each other who we really are in all the beauty, but also all the brokenness that we have. One of my favorite verses for many, many years, and it's one you can easily memorize, it's to me the, the hallmark cornerstone of what the gospel is about, what God declares about you and declares about me. Therefore, we can declare about each other. It's, a, it's one phrase, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and here's what it says. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That should be over every entrance of every church, and it should be somehow branded on every follower of Jesus Christ, that we are living with no condemnation. That means that God does not condemn me, and guess what else it means? I don't condemn you. We don't condemn each other. This is grace. This is what grace is about, that God has redeemed us in spite of ourselves, loves us in spite of ourselves, and tells us to love each other in spite of ourselves. 
And that's grace. Without grace, you can't do that. Grace is saying, I don't care about that about you. I still love you. I embrace you. I'm with you in this. I want to keep rowing in this boat with you in the same direction. I accept you for who you are. And the interesting thing is it's so clear that this is what God has done for us. Which is why we should live as a no-condemnation people, a no-condemnation tribe. What's your tribe about? No condemnation. No judgment. There's a passage in Hebrews 4 that bears us out so powerfully. I want to show it to you in two, two parts. The first one tells us something that if you stop there, it's really scary. It would be really scary. Here's what, here's what the writer says. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Stop there. Man, that's like big brother looking over your shoulders. And it says nothing is hidden from his sight and you're going to have to give an account. Everything's laid bare. How would you like everything in your life to be laid bare right now up in the screen? By the way, we had a secret camera following you all week long. And we could even record your secret thoughts. And we're now going to show them to everybody. You'd run out of here so fast. You'd move to another state. You'd get out of Dodge, man. I would. But it's t you can't do that with God. He sees it all. And you're going to give an account. If you stop there, it would be like, wow, this is not good. And then listen to what comes next. This is so amazing. He says, let us then, in light of this, in light of this fact that he sees everything, nothing's hidden, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Confidence. It's all laid bare. Come to his throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I, I tell you, I could just run laps around this church right now with that reality. That is so utterly amazing that I could, I, Craig Mays can stand here right now and declare in front of you that I got a lot of stuff in my life I'm not proud of and stuff that God is still working on. But God says to me, when he sees it, he says, yeah, I, I see that. Come here. Come to the throne. I want to give you some grace. I want to bring you into my embrace. I want to give you mercy. I want to give you grace in your time of need right now because your brokenness doesn't tell me that I should reject you. It tells me that you have need and I want to meet that need. So look, come on, come. And then here's his vision for the church. The church is to be a, a community of broken, forgiven people who, having received grace, can't give enough out to each other. Like, that's what we're called to do, to live in grace, to live in mercy, not judgment. And it's so hard because, I mean, I, I'm like the worst example for a good part of my life of this because the roots went down really deep that I have to stay hidden. So I learned to be whoever I needed to be with people. And I was really good at it. I was the best actor in the world. And I was in ministry. I was a pastor. I was doing ministry. But I was so afraid that someone would discover stuff about me that would cause them to reject me. And I want people to love me. So I stayed hidden for too long. And you know what happens when something stays hidden? It doesn't change. It tends to grow and shame tends to pile on. And there's this beautiful invitation of, from God, come to my throne. And so the invitation is, let's come to each other as well. How could we not? If God is thrown as a place of mercy and grace, how could our communities, our lives, as we intersect with each other, not be places of grace and mercy for each other? Can we do for each other what God has done for us? Can we lock arms with others who see everything about us and with open arms welcome us and they dish out liberal amounts of mercy and grace? I want to say if these are not your people, you need to get new people. If you're not that person, you need to become a different person because it works both ways. I need this. I need to give it. The kind of community that will stay missional and will be life-changing and will be the great adventure God has for us is one that is grace-soaked because we need it.
Those who have been washed by the grace and mercy of Jesus, we live it out in our community. So that's the second thing. First thing, missional. Second thing, grace oak. The third one, I tried to come up with a better word than this. One maybe you haven't heard before. I'm just going to use love. Is that okay? A community of love. But let me call it, let me qualify it by calling it sacrificial love. This is a love, a kind of love that's demonstrated in behavior where the person will go that extra mile or ten. It's a person that will answer the phone call in the middle of the night when they see your caller ID. They'll pick up. The people that will go to whatever length they need to love you, to encourage you, to build you up. The people that you don't have to sing a song like that because you know who loves you. They've demonstrated it. You know, one of the really great examples in Scripture of this is the life of David. And if I were to ask you what is David most known for, there would be different answers. One that always makes the top few is Goliath. Here's this little shepherd boy, uh, not trained as a soldier at all, um, went without any armor, went up against this, this giant that everyone feared, and he, and he took care of him. He did business. Like, that's a cool story, right? But then what happened, of course, is God, if you don't know the story, God anointed David to be the next king after Saul. Saul was the first king. David's going to be the second. Saul didn't like it, and so Saul began to pursue David to kill him. He threw a spear at him, barely missed him. He sent his army after him, and David had to go into hiding. David was in hiding for a long time, out in the wilderness, out in the desert, living in caves, struggling, wondering, God, I, I know you anointed me king, but this doesn't feel like I'm a king now. He's trying to kill me. The king is trying to kill me. He was by himself, but not for long. And you can read the full account of this in 1 Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23 of David's mighty men that began to come around him. I love that. These mighty men began to align themselves with this, this, this anointed king who's not king yet to encourage him, to support him, to help him, to keep him alive. That was their job. So there was no question who he could call if he had a cell phone in the middle of the night. He had guys around him who were supporting him. And my favorite uh, story within this story is one day I, I imagine they were sitting around the campfire out in the wilderness somewhere, um, and David maybe just musing out loud to himself, longing for not being on the run anymore, said, oh, if I could just have a cool cup of water from the well in Bethlehem, the city of David, right? He was longing for home. He just probably said that out loud. And without telling them, three of the mighty men, they were the three real killer guys, Terminator guys, man. They, uh, they decided without telling David that they were going to go get a cup of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is really a stupid idea to do this. Just for water, there's water all around you. But they did. They broke through the enemy lines. They went and they got this cup of water or a bucket of water or whatever they had, and they brought it back to David and offered it to him. And he wouldn't take it, by the way, because he was really ticked off that they had risked their lives for him for just a cup of water. But you know what? I think when David went to bed that night, laid his head on the pillow or on the rock, wherever he was, had to feel so loved that these guys, hearing his longing for water from his hometown, went and got it for him. Do we have women, men in our lives who when they hear something like that, not even going to tell you, they're just going to go serve you and do it. Because that's what God created us for. Now, as I thought about that this week, I had a thought that I, I had never had before about this story, this part of David's life. Because if I asked you again, what's, what's the best known story in David's life? Some of you wouldn't pick Goliath. You would have said Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband. Because at one point, after he's king and he's been king for a while, conquered all the lands, he's, he's successful. He's up on his rooftop one night when everybody else was at war 
He didn't go any longer. He's a king. He's up on his rooftop. And he sees Bathsheba bathing. And he sends servants to get her and bring her to him. And he commits adultery. And then it gets worse because she gets pregnant. And he has her husband brought from the battlefield and has him go back out to be killed. Like withdraw and let the enemy kill him. So adultery and murder. You know what I began to wonder this week? I never thought about this before. He needed his mighty men more then than he needed them before. Where were his mighty men? Where were the, the men, you know, because I, let me just talk for, to the men for a while. We're pretty good at if we have to pick up a, a gun or a bow and arrow or a sword and a, and, a, and a shield and go to battle in this way. Yeah, go to battle. Testosterone, let's go to battle. Let's fight for each other. Let's defend each other. But what about the other kind of battles? that was raging in David's life at this season of his life? Where were these men? Where was this community around him that he could have leaned into or they could have seen what was going on and said, David, I see you taking second and third looks all the time. What's going on here? You know, where's the temptation coming from? What is this? They seem to be absent. Because through everything in life, we have to have people around us who are on the same mission, who are so grace-soaked that if I'm being tempted, I can share it. With somebody, because I need your help. I'm stumbling. I need you to pick me up. And God did not intend us to fight this battle alone. He, he intended for us to do this together. And, and I've had the privilege and joy of having uh, mighty men and women in my life for a good part of my life. And it's made such a difference. By the way, the phrase um, one another occurs 100 times in the New Testament. That should tell you something. God's, I think, trying to make it obvious. Encourage one another. Build up one another, love one another, forgive one another. We are to be a one another people. And I've had the great joy of having that. Uh, I've had lots of one another relationships that may, never formalized, but I've also had groups of men. I'd call them my mighty men. We're mighty men for each other. And I, I'm, I'm celebrating one right now because I left Kensington 12 years ago to go to New York City, and I left a lot of great relationships, but I left a group of men that we had really started to gel together. We started out of a dig study that we were doing, and, and we began to meet after dig, and we became uh, close and tight friends, and we were encouraging each other in our walk with Jesus. And then I moved. And over the 12 years, this group kind of had fits and starts and hung together and didn't, came back together. And at least once a year, we tried to get together when I was back in town and didn't do it most years. But I, they've stayed in the radar for me. So when I got back, one of the guys reached out and said, hey, you want to you rejoin our group? I said, you're meeting again? Yeah, we're meeting again. So my first Sunday here was October 11th, and October 13th, I'm sitting with my guys again. And for a couple of weeks, we met in a restaurant, and then the governor said, no more restaurants, and so we went online, and we, every Tuesday morning, we meet online, and with their permission, I did a screenshot of this Tuesday. I want you to see uh, my, uh, my band of brothers, my mighty warriors. Now, when you look at that, tell me what you notice. You can be honest. They're old. There you go. Golden star right there. Someone was bold enough to say that. Although they're not all, all old, and I have to say this because the, Ryan there, and, and, and Ryan's over here right now. Ryan, wave your hand. Ryan's the young guy, and let me tell you why everybody's laughing. So we're, we're studying Second Peter together, and, um, and most of the time we go about 45 minutes before we ever get to Second Peter because we're talking about life and what's going on, encouraging each other. Um, and so at this moment in the conversation that I captured, um, George asked, Ryan, how long have you been married? And I think he said 21 years. Is that right? 21 years. And, and here's what George said. George says, oh, you're off to a good start. <laughs> so I said, 
well, George, how long have you been married? And he said, 45. And then Doug in the bottom there said, I'm at 50. And then I said, well, I'm at 35. And I can't remember Mark what he said. Mark's watching online right now. So Mark, I can't, sorry, I can't remember. I think you're about the same as me. So think about the value of these guys coming together, talking about things like marriage and children and jobs and finance and loss of work and health issues, which is what we talk about. <laughs> Most of us, sorry, Ryan. We talk about health issues a lot. One of the guys in the group, um, I guess that he doesn't mind me sharing this, uh, Mark, who was the uh, campus director here on staff after he retired from the police department in Sterling Heights, is fighting two kinds of cancer right now. And so we're, we're, we're there for him and his wife, Deb, and we're praying for them and we're doing all we can support him. This is what God built, built us for. We need this. We need the ability to connect on this level. So I just want to encourage you that, to find your people. Make a commitment. And trust isn't built overnight. You're not going to come in the first time and just tell all your dirty secrets. But to build relationships, because I, Ryan and others, I, I tell you that with these guys, I think I could tell them anything. And I would know that I would meet with grace and love and support and encouragement. They're going to pray for me. And they're going to build into my life. And so um, I want to actually uh, bring Tracy um, Henkel up, who is our director of discipleship, because she's going to share a little bit about how you can connect if you're not connected with a group or ways to connect with people to do that. And as she's making her way here, we're also going to receive her offering now. So uh, I want to add to Danny's um, thanks that you heard earlier in the service that during a lean time, what could have been a very lean time, you guys have been amazing in allowing us to continue our reach locally and really around the world. So um, there's ways to give. You can see on the screen through your, your phone, through the app. You can text. You can email. And we do have buckets if you're here today with us. So both at home, those watching online, and those of you who are here, I just want to say thank you for uh, helping us to accomplish the mission that God has called us to. But Tracy, why don't you come out? Um, so Tracy, as I said, is the director of discipleship. And I asked her to just take a few minutes to tell uh, us about what we could do to connect in uh, community. Thanks, Craig. Well, first of all, I'd like to say one of my favorite things to do, because mm -hmm. it is my job, is to talk to you, people like you, about connecting in places and things that we have to do here at Kensington to grow in your faith. And the reason that I love doing that is because 18 years ago, when I first started coming to Kensington, my life was completely changed by my next steps in the small group that I joined here. And I was just like you sitting in the seats, and I was watching Sue earlier sitting over here, and she was taking notes on the service. Well, that's what I was doing. It was all new to me. I believed in God, but I didn't believe the Bible was real, let alone his word of, uh, the word of God. I thought it was just a rule book to take away my fun. But I knew there was a God, but I didn't know anything about him. And I was voraciously taking notes every Sunday. And then I started just having this sense that I want, I want more. And so more for me looked like, kinda, looked like insights, which is a women's Bible study that we offer here on Monday nights. And what that was was a group of, a small group of women. It's in a mid-sized group with lots of small groups, but I joined one. And leaders there modeled to me what it was like to do our best at Christian living, reading the Bible and where did it come from and, and how do you pray and that really just changed my life completely. And that is an example of what Craig mentioned earlier, our core value of as a family. And this is that band of brothers Well, I had a band of sisters. And it was, it was life-changing for me. And I currently am in a different group right now. But I kept that pattern in my life of knowing I need people to do life with. So how do you do that at Kensington here? What if maybe you're sitting in the seats right now and you're starting to have that little nudge, that little sense of, I want more. I want to learn more. I want to experience more. I want to meet new people, more people. Well, we do that through things called small groups like 
Craig was talking about, through courses, uh, through our care groups. And courses are things like Alpha and Bible Basics and Financial Peace University. Um, and all different kinds of small groups exist. Some of them are in mid-sized groups, men's and women's that meet on Tuesday nights. And it's so easy to find out more information about that because you just go to the groups page. So it's kensingtonchurch.org forward slash groups, and they're all listed there. You can click on it and ask more information. I'll end up getting an email and talking to you. You can go out to the hub and ask questions, or if you're watching online, we have a super simple thing. Right after the service, we'll have a connect event on Zoom, and the link is right there on the groups page, so it's so simple to get connected. Awesome. So um, in light of what I said today, are people going to come to a group for the first time, and they're going to attach a lie detector thing to them and they're going to put them under a spotlight <laughs> right. and say tell us your deepest darkest yes. secrets because yes. nobody's going to come if we <laughs> <Right>. do that <laughs> well we make it really easy if you're just really not sure what your more looks like what if you want to learn to read the bible or or what you want to learn how to do mm -hmm. we have a really cool course called the alpha course and the alpha course is basically a place where you can ask questions about christianity because every single week we tackle a different question that people have how do you read the bible how do you pray how do we know Jesus wasn't just a man who walked the earth? All those questions that come up, it's a great place to start. Yeah. That's what and I, I recommend. And I think, you know, we build community one step at a time. And, and the goal is to get there eventually where it's a transparent, intimate, open group that we can really be honest with each other. And, and by the way, it also doesn't have to be formalized. Like, my group isn't listed anywhere. We didn't, like, go and sign up someplace. Right. So, you know, if you find people... You know, when you find your people, stay with those people. If it's not an official group, just have people in your life that are characterized this way. So let's give uh, Tracy a hand. Thank you for your work here. <clears throat> Tracy, um, uh, in 2006 when we launched this campus, Tracy was a part of the original core team. And to come back these many years later and see her growth and leadership and what God has in her life is just phenomenal. That's what God wants to do for all of us. So, all right, as I wrap this up, I want to I share one final story, one final thought about finding this kind of um, do-it-together way of living. And there's a passage that probably gets used mostly in weddings from Ecclesiastes. You know these words, I think. Um, the writer says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And those words are challenging to me because I'm, by nature, I'm a pretty independent person. I was raised to be that way. Work for yourself, think for yourself, don't lean on anybody, don't need anybody. And it's really a, a pride thing that I've had to be broken from again and again. And I had an experience a few years ago where it happened again to me, and it was actually about running a marathon. In 2012, I was going to run the New York City Marathon. Don't ask me why. It was one of the dumbest decisions I ever made. I know a lot of you have run for water for the Hope Water Project. God bless you. That's awesome. But I decided to do it, and I was going to raise money for our work for, with the homeless in New York City. And so I trained, and I trained with some other people. But when it came time for the race, I was going to run alone. Well, Hurricane Sandy hit, and they canceled the marathon. So I thought, well, good. I, I escaped that. And, and then a few weeks later, a few months later, I said, no, I think I need to do this. So I trained again, 2013, ran the marathon. I did it by myself. There were 60,000 people running it, but I ran alone. And started in Staten Island, into Brooklyn, into Queens, into the Bronx, back into Manhattan. We're going to finish in Central Park. My goal was um, to not stop running. I know that sometimes uh, people that aren't really all that athletic like me will run most of it and walk the end. I wasn't going to walk. I'm going to run the whole thing. I got to mile 25. And my hamstring on the left 
cramped so bad, it was like a golf ball. It was like this. It pulled my leg right up. I couldn't get it down, and I was hopping, and I'm thinking, I'm done. I'm a mile away. I can't do it. I was in so much pain, and a perfect stranger, I mean, I didn't know this guy at all, came up on my left, put his arm around me, and said, you're almost there. You can do it, and started, like, running with me as I was hopping, and that got me so mad. Not, not what he was doing. That was so good. That was probably an angel that I stopped, and I took my fist, and I kept pounding my the knot until it came out, and then I ran about 200 yards, and it happened again. So if there was any video of this, it would have been hilarious. I'm pounding my leg and running, and I made it to the finish line. But I wouldn't have done it if this guy had not shown up. So that was my one and only marathon, I thought. I'm never going to do this again. I crossed the finish line, said that was stupid, really what I thought. I'm done. And then I met Charles. And Charles was a man, if you've seen the video here at Kensington of Charles in New York City, he was a crack addict, $100 a day habit for 30 years, living as a homeless man in the Port Authority when he wasn't in prison. And he came into our church and a communitas and into the mission, and he really met Jesus in a powerful way. And I've never seen anything like that because he didn't go through detox or anything. He just broke, it was just gone. And he began to follow Jesus. And he had been a Division I scholarship athlete in college, hadn't done anything sports in a long time. And so I, one of the things I would do is I would run with guys in our program after work at 4.35 in the afternoon along the Hudson River. So one day, about a month into this, Charles, I said, you want to run with me? He got his shoes. He went down. He was so full of joy. He's such a joyful person that it was only a two-mile run. He wouldn't stop talking the whole time. He's so out of shape. He was running along the Hudson saying, oh, look at those boats and look at the beautiful green trees and the blue sky and look at all these families in the park. And I finally literally stopped him and said, you're going to use your oxygen to talk or to run? Because you're going to die out here and I'm going to be responsible. Well, I'm telling you that because this is his nature. He's a lover of people. And so he decided in 2017 he was going to run the marathon and asked me if I'd run it with him. Like, oh, I've been there. I know that. So, but I said yes. And then I trained with Charles and I committed. I'm going to run every step with him. And he's going to run slower than I would have run. But I'm going to run with him. Not going to do it alone. And so we begin the race, and I wish I had more time to tell you. It was, it was the funniest experience of my life because he made four or five best friends during the race. We were running, I remember we were running through Brooklyn, and, and all of a sudden I can't find him. Like he's next to me, and I look, he's over there talking to this woman as they're running. And then about 10 minutes later, he'd come back over to me, and he'd say, her name is Sylvia, and she has three children. This is her fifth marathon. She lives in Sweden now. And then all of a sudden, an hour later, He'd be running off somewhere else, come back, and he'd say, that was George, and George never thought he could run again because he had cancer, but he came back and he had chemo, and his wife, Pam, is praying for him right now. I mean, he just, he was meeting people, building community on the race. In fact, we got on the Queensboro Bridge. If you know New York City, it's the only place where there's no, um, there's no, any spectators cheering you on. It's totally quiet. It gets, all of a sudden, it gets really quiet. You're at about mile 15, so it's getting kind of tough. On the bridge, he started a wave. He was running backwards saying, okay, everybody, when I say three, wave your hands. And then and the wave went back. He did it all the way across the bridge. I go, this guy is like crazy. And he's so much fun. And we're running this race together. And he did that all the way up into the Bronx. And we came back out into Manhattan. We're going through Harlem. We're getting down closer to Central Park where it's going to end. And all of a sudden, he went quiet. Like he just went silent. And so I'm looking at him. And I never seen such terror <laughs> and pain. And I knew he was in trouble. And we're going down Fifth Avenue now along the, the east side of the park. And there, every block there's a light. And so I initially said, just look at the next block. 
Just focus on that. Keep your legs moving. The next block, the next block. The last three miles, I coached him every step of the way. I started quoting verses. He loved scripture. And then he started quoting verses back to me. And we're just, we're, we're, we're praying together. And we made it. We never stopped running. We made it all the way to the finish line. When we crossed the finish line, we had this amazing embrace. I do have one picture. I didn't get a picture from the finish line. This is us at mile 16. He was still very, very happy at that point. <laughs> but, but here's, the reason I shared that story with you, first of all, um, it, I, I was broken of my independence. I want to do life with people. I want to be there step by step. And Charles has told me more than once after the race, as he looks back, and he's run two more, by the way, since then. I haven't. But he said, I would, I would have dropped out of the race and walked away if you weren't there with me. And that accomplishment was so uh, instrumental in his continued growth as he did something that he never thought he would do again. And his mom, who was in her 80s, was there to embrace him after the race, his family. They got their son back, and it was just such an amazing celebration. And I would have missed that if I didn't understand the power of community, the power of relationship. So you will go faster and farther in life when you find your people. People committed to a mission, a common purpose, grace-soaked, sacrificial love. In fact, I I love this saying. There's an African saying that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Life is a marathon. It's a long race. We have to do it together. And just like Steve did last week, I'm going I'm to put some questions on the screen. I'm going to ask you to consider these questions this week to help you find your people. So there are four of them, one at a time. What relationships of trust or grace are you growing so that you're coming out of hiding? Second question, who is with you? Chasing after a life that is rich toward God. That's the missional part. And by the way, you should have friendships that are of all sorts. But there needs to be a core, a nucleus of friendships that are after the same thing. Number three, who can you call at 2 a.m. and they will take the call? Because with caller ID, they can decide. Everybody can decide whether to pick up or not. We do that to each other, right? But who can you call at 2 a.m. and they're going to take the call? And then... The last question is just to reverse that. Who can call you at 2 a.m. and you're going to look at the caller ID and you're going to pick up. And whatever they need, you're going to be there. This is what God has called us to. That kind of locking arms community that we're in this together. And so God, I just pray, um, my words don't have any power, but the words of Scripture and the words of the Holy Spirit have the power to change us. And I just pray, even in this room and online, people watching, that you will nudge them toward the risk of moving into deeper relationships, the risk of making themselves known. And and the beauty of that is to be known and loved and to be extended grace. The power of that is unbelievable. God, may we experience that in the days ahead. In your name, amen. on this journey get lost in my mistakes what seems to me like weakness is a canvas of restraint my story isn't over my story's just begun feel you won't define me cause that's what my father does no feel you won't define me cause that's what my father does Ooh. 
I didn't know that song until I came to Kensington. We've done it quite a few times now. I love that song. Here's what it means to me in the context of this service we've done today. So, you know, a lot of people in their house will have like a saying or a plaque or something over the door when you first come in. So in the Father's house, it says no condemnation, right? Romans 8.1, no condemnation. And then as her father, he's saying to us as his children, okay, so children, let's live it out. Let's live out grace. Let's live out love. Let's take the mask off. Let's be real with each other. Let's find the power of community, authentic, honest community that's redeemed and filled with grace to grow and to change not only our lives, but to change our community and change the world. So that's the kind of the marching orders as we go out today. Um, I, we did get a text from Tyler, who is our, uh, one of our student ministries director, and he said, make sure everybody knows that we also have groups for uh, junior high, senior high students as well. And we love that because we want them to get started early and coming together in community and being vulnerable and honest and letting Jesus penetrate those groups in their lives as well. So if you have high school kids or if there's high school, junior high kids here in the room, please get involved in community. Kids? Oh, grade school kids? Yeah, I don't know about that. But uh, you can go get that. You can go ask at the hub about that, okay? All right, God bless. We'll, um, oh, by the way, um, midweek, a week from this Wednesday is our midweek service. And we've asked Danny Cox to come and teach because he doesn't get over here very often. And uh, he's having surgery on his knee tomorrow. Uh, so he said, I, I'm, I'm planning on coming as long as I'm you know, recovered enough. So pray for his recovery and then put on your calendar to be here a uh, week from this Wednesday for our midweek service. Okay, God bless. Have a great day. <clears throat> you've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.